You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Now, like Angie said, pygmy hippos are on their way to extinction. I mean, when you talk, and we'll talk more in conservation here in a second, but 2,000 animals left. What can they teach us? One of the first times I went behind the scenes to meet the pygmy hippos at the Lincoln Park Zoo, I had, it was the first time I'd ever been up close and personal to any type of hippo. And I didn't realize how slimy they were. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. And today, Angie, we are talking everything hippos, but not the big ones, right? No, not the big ones, but the pygmy ones. And Mm -hmm. it's all things river horse, uh, hippopotamuses in the Greek. And I can't believe it took us this long to focus a whole episode on pygmy hippos because we've covered the common or the Nile hippopotamus Many, many moons ago. Do you know the episode number? Episode 46. (laughs) Yes, very long ago. That's why I keep you around. You're very good at that. So a very long time ago, I I almost want to listen to it again to see if we made sure and covered everything that's going on with hippos and hippo conservation. But we need to dedicate this hour to the pygmy hippo for so many reasons. First and foremost, it's endangered. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's maybe two to 3,000 individuals remaining in the wild. I know. Uh, and I mean, and of course, they are pygmy hippos, but they're, this is a large mammal. And after reviewing the literature uh, this past week, there's just so much that we don't know about the pygmy mm-hmm. hippo. It's shy and reclusive, lives in really heavily dense forested regions of West Africa. Mm-hmm. So hopefully everyone listening today will just want to save pygmy hippos and want to learn more about them and and understand that their their plight is in our hands and we're, we either need to act now or they're going to be gone. Yeah, I know. I know. And I, I'm not covering it this week, but there is another big article came out this week talking about the sixth mass extinction. We're, we're at the beginning of it. It, it. it is real. It is happening. So over the coming weeks, we'll we'll talk about that more. Yeah, I remember Angie going back to episode forty-six. It was very good. We, I rem- the things that stick out. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Well, the, <laughs> the things that stick out with that one is first, there is no dedicated hippo organization out there to save them. Right, Chris. That was the week I told my husband, "I'm like, we need to start a hippo conservation organization, like right now." And he, 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 he did not think that was a. Uh, in our best interest at the time. So, no, Angie, that's funny because it makes me laugh because I remember specifically that episode two was we had the the hippo off the the famous hippo off where where John did beat you because his hippo call was pretty amazing. So, yes, and hippos are my husband's favorite animal. Uh, we literally have a tub a, a huge Tupperware container of John's hippo stuff that people have given okay. them yeah. and it's probably just not appropriate to be like in an adult house hanging out. So, uh, yes, he loves hippos and he was able to do some really cool cutting edge research on hearing of hippos and how they hear underwater and, uh, uh not in water. So yeah. in above air surface, above yeah. water. Yeah. And they're one of the only species of animals that can do that. And so they were testing out the range to see what they could hear underwater and if it matched what they could hear on land and really, really fascinating physiology of hippos. So they're definitely a household favorite, which is why we often still to this day have hippo calls. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, uh, before we started pygmy hippos, I asked him if he wanted to come and like, you know, make a vocalization and see if he could still beat me. He laughed and gently reminded me that uh, 
pygmy hippos don't make the inf- the uh, uh, uh call. Yeah, the pygmy hippos don't make the. Mm, mm, there you go. Mm, mm, mm. So yeah. <laughs> anyways, yours is still good. It was much better than mine, but uh, yes. Well, I got yeah. to hear it in Africa, so I, yeah. I got to hear a lot of hippo calls, and then and I was lucky enough at the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago to visit a lot with the pyg- pygmy hippos that they had there. I was not the pygmy hippo keeper mm-hmm. uh, because it was the African area and I was more in the hoofstock area. But several of my friends and John got to work with the pygmy hippos there and I spent a lot of times behind the scenes with them. They're d- so fun. Yeah. Such a cool creature. And, and we'll talk all about their behavior and physiology today. It's pretty cool stuff. Uh, but the good news, Chris, mm-hmm is that I was able to find an organization that is fighting for pygmy hippos. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we'll yes. talk about that towards the end of the podcast, and it'll be on our show notes. And But I will say this. There definitely is more research needed about pygmy hippos mm-hmm. in the wild and under human care. After a little bit of digging, I couldn't really find a lot of research on them under human care or in the wild. Still, still lots of pieces of the puzzle missing because they are very shy in the wild and they're nocturnal. So a lot mm-hmm. of things have to be done with camera traps and in zoos, they do really well. Yeah. So that's probably yeah. one of the reasons too. It's like, so when zoos are going to do research projects, they probably want to do it on the more that they're, you know, critically endangered species that we don't know anything about and that don't breed well under human care. So maybe that's why um, some of the studies are lacking with pygmy hippos. But much, much, much more work to be needed. If anybody listening loves hippos, go study them. Yes. And I will come <laughs> hang out with you. <laughs> well, I'll talk a little bit about the end too, where people can can go look for uh, look for volunteer opportunities in Africa because we do get asked that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, just want to say this one's out. This, this episode is going out to Carlo. Great suggestion. This is for you. This is you requested it. So here you go. It was an awesome uh, suggestion. So thank you for that. And I also want to thank Cassie and Ruby for joining us on Patreon this week. It means the the world to us. Uh, You're supporting us. You know, one nice cup cup of coffee a month or two really helps us. And, you know, it's going to help us pour some money into promoting this podcast and in educating the masses on the plight of animals like the pygmy hippo. So, Carlo, thank you for that. Yes, thank you, Carlo. It's been a great week learning about the pygmy hippo. So, awesome suggestion. And to our other listeners out there, please keep the suggestions coming, especially to our Patreon listeners. And I want to give a big shout-out this week to BCR1980, who gave us a five-star review on iTunes and said that we are the best podcast ever, smiley face. Thank you. So thank you. thank you so much for that. We really appreciate your kind words. And BCR 1980 also requested that we do the Northern Haired Nosed Wombat, which we did. And it was episode, what number was it, Chris? Uh, 255. We just did it a few months ago. So you might have missed it, but thank you. Yeah, so check that out. And they also requested the pangolin and the pika, which we've done. I don't know the numbers of them, but oh, they, yeah. um, if you uh, Google All Creatures Podcast and then the name of the animal you wanted, uh, it should pull up. So please check those out and please keep the good reviews coming. And please give us a like or a follow on social media. Um, and any any kind words on iTunes is greatly appreciated. And then just doing a quick Google search while you were talking. Uh, episode 20 was pangolins and, and wow. we, we, we've done a couple of pangolin episodes. They are, they're the most trafficked animal in the world and reading about pygmy hippos. Uh, I did come across some articles that through Western Africa, uh, P- pangolin is poached there pretty heavily. And then epi- episode 72 was the Italy pika. So be sure to check that out, but we do need to do more lagomorphs. I, I, I definitely feel like we need to do that. Describing the pygmy hippo. Is it just big hippos and smaller? But there are some differences, right? Yeah, it's darling. I mean, yes. I, I think the common the Nile hippo is beautiful too. Uh, like I said, it's a river horse, so it has all of my bells and whistles that I love. But yes, overall, Chris, it is a smaller version of a common hippo. But there are some differences. And first, it's going to be in the head. The pygmy hippo has like a rounder head and its neck is proportionately longer than the common or the Nile hippo. And the eyes of the pygmy hippo are not 
on the top of the head, like the common or the Nile hippo, but they're they're a little bit more in front and not as prominent as as the bigger hippos. And when it comes to their feet, the pygmy hippos' feet aren't as webbed, and the toes are able to move more freely compared to that of the larger common or Nile hippo. Well, and just looking at their size, I mean, they say one to ten, you know, uh, so about ten percent the size of a of a the the Nile hippo. But yeah, they're st- they're still really big when you when you're looking at them, especially if you're seeing them at a zoo mm-hmm. somewhere. I mean, you might just think that it's a common hippo uh, because until you come close to close, like up right next to, which I've been mm-hmm. lucky enough to do um, with a Nile hippo, mm-hmm. they're massive. They are like, massive. <laughs> so massive. And they so are. from a distance, I could see like, oh, is that a pygmy hippo or is that a common mm-hmm. hippo? But other than that, they're very similar to their large cousin. Their skin is going to be hairless, a greenish, black, grayish color. It's smooth. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about... Um, the substance that they secrete to help keep them cool and help protect mm-hmm. them from the sun. And their tails are short and tufted, And you definitely don't want to stand on the backside of a hippo because um, at least the common hippo is known to swirl its tail and fling its dung at you, yes. which is they're not just necessarily flinging it at an animal keeper. Um, it's a behavior they do to help mark their territory. But the pygmy hippos can also close their eyes and their ears underwater just Mm -hmm, like the big mm -hmm. hippos do because they do spend a lot of time in water and they're just darling their face is really to me they almost have a little bit more of a a dog or like maybe like a seal face i don't know it is Um, kind of yeah walrusy they i mean they definitely look like baby hippos to me sometimes they do they do right Yeah. yeah yeah they do look like baby hippos and for the people with a really good eye the pygmy hippos' teeth are a little bit different. They only have one pair of incisors, while the big Nile hippo has two or three. Yeah, they're massive. They're massive. They're massive. Yeah, ivory tusks. Um, so just size-wise, though, like we said, that they weigh anywhere from like 350 to 600 pounds or up to like 270 kilograms. So they, they aren't small. But lengths, I mean, five to five and a half feet, one, so that's almost 1.75 meters. So I'm longer than them, but mm-hmm. they definitely are, are much heavier than me. <laughs> <laughs> and then the height at the shoulder, you know, up to 40 inches or 100 centimeters tall. So I've seen them at the San Diego Zoo uh, years and years ago. And they, and then I actually got to work with hippos at the San Antonio Zoo a little bit. So they, they just, the common hippos are just massive. I mean, you're talking just size differences, you know, when you're going 600 pounds versus 10,000 pounds, up to five tons of a bull hippo. And, you know, the, the, the common hippos can be upwards of 16, 17 feet, you know, or five meters in length. So they're definitely like little tiny compared to their big, big cousins. Yeah, darling. they are. Yeah. They are. They're little they are. ears. Now, what I was really excited about this too, Angie, is where they live because we really haven't covered a species in this part of the world. We've been near it, you know, in the Congo basin and stuff, but you know, the pygmy hippos are in Western Africa. Most of the population, and I'm going to talk about it here a little bit more in a second, is in Liberia, and then you have some in Sierra Leone. We'll talk about the population they they thought used to exist in Nigeria when I get to the subspecies and stuff, but they're not there today. They're just basically Liberia, Guinea, Sierra Leone, and I don't know if I could say this, Cote de Lavore? <laughs> <laughs> the Ivory no. Coast yes. is the the easiest way to say it. But the country, I did... I did YouTube this because I didn't, I, I was curious, uh, is Côte d'Ivoire. Oh, so, that's pretty. That's really Côte pretty. Côte d'Ivoire. Yes, it's French. Uh, it was French occupied for many, many years. Mm. Um, of course, now it, it no longer is. And that was the American way to say it uh, okay. with my American accent. Uh, to hear it in French, it's much more beautiful. Yeah. And my father-in-law, who is uh, French-Haitian, 
I uh, would would uh, probably cringe when I said Côte d'Ivoire. <laughs> it's way better because, than me. <laughs> yes, he uh, he speaks speaks French fluently, uh, so it's yeah, it's it's a little bit more a little. It's even prettier when mm. it's spoken in French. Yeah, and and I could say Ivory Coast, and that's because they used to ship out a lot of ivory from there. But the pygmy hippo population, I think, is more in southern Liberia, right into Ivory Coast. Uh, around that border region and you know you find them in in forested areas very much close to water you know we'll learn more in behavior you know how often they, they spend in water or land but they use these rivers and streams and swampy areas to you know not only cool off and rest and eat but also they flee there for when there's danger so they'll they'll go and, and get into the water so also interesting is they're 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 nowhere near the range of like you said the Nile or common hippo, so that's that's other parts of Africa where you see them. Now, like Angie said, pygmy hippos are on their way to extinction. I mean, when you talk, and we're, we'll talk more in conservation here in a second, but two thousand animals left. Well, and I, when was that count last done? I think that count was last done like a long time ago. Right. We don't know what their current population is, you know, and this is a, you know, their ecological niche, the, their herbivores, their, their large herbivores. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. they, they've com- been completely displaced from their, their environment. Absolutely, Chris. And I think one of the biggest roles the pygmy hippo plays, especially in Liberia, is it's a flagship species. It's super valuable and critical to these forested regions of Liberia, but also Guinea, Sierra Leone, Cote d'Ivoire, because where the pygmy hippo lives, there is a ton of biodiversity. And all this biodiversity in the regions where the pygmy hippo lives help the region out. They support local livelihoods and and in these vastly forested regions, uh, they can act as carbon sinks, right? Um, helping with global climate change. So by conserving the pygmy hippo, you're conserving the forest that they live in, and then just this wealth of dive biodiversity mm-hmm. in the area. And so it is important to pay attention and a lot of their threats we'll talk about later on the podcast, but the biggest one is deforestation. Yeah, it's massive. So we need to pay attention to them. And a lot of people do care. And, and that's what was really heartwarming this week, knowing that they're, they are trying to set camera traps uh, to do a population count. There are protected areas uh, for them, but r- researchers don't think that it's enough. And they're trying to learn more about their behavior in the wild. Cause they are really shy and reclusive to try to figure out how to save them and how much force they need. Uh, and although I think they're like the coolest creature out there, besides maybe a zebra or, <laughs> <laughs> or an okapi or something. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, for me, they're like right up there, but they're, they're not going to get as big of attention as mountain gorillas mm-hmm. and some of these other. I mean, I, I think all species are amazing, right? But mm-hmm. uh, they, they probably don't draw as much um, prep tourism per se or right. just attention in general so we we need we need the pygmy hippo to be a a well-known well-loved animal in your household so please spread the word uh, get people to care uh and chris now put a put up on our show notes where you where you can donate your time and your energy and um the the messaging that you can help share to pass the word along it's funny yeah that's kind of my tip of the week at the end we're on the same wavelength today yeah, I mean, they. we haven't been to this really part of Africa. We haven't really focused in on it before because, you know, when you think of Africa, you're thinking of the just the Serengeti or down in Kruger in South Africa. Yes, I'm thinking of John's. Um, he has a big birthday coming up in a couple of years. And then <laughs> I was even telling the boys, I'm like, yes. I'm like, don't tell dad, but I'm going to try to take us to Africa if we can save our money. Oh, uh, well, it's funny. But I'm not I, talking... Yeah. But of course, I'm talking about South Africa or yes, you know something yes. like Kruger, something that yeah. would be uh, um, more user friendly with the kids. Uh, and, and unfortunately, I'm not thinking of um, Liberia at this point. 
Well, it's funny because Pip and I are talking about going to Africa as soon as we can. Uh, we're looking now, maybe Tanzania. Okay. As soon as... Which is wonderful. We, I've been there. Mm-hmm. I know. I'll talk to you offline about it. <laughs> but it, it, it's because we we know that part of the world has really been hit hard with COVID. Mm-hmm. And I have an interview coming up, uh, very interesting interview, talking about cheetah relocation. Um, you know, that should be out in the next couple of weeks. And it really got me thinking. And so Pip and I are, are talking about possibly, you know, saving our, our pennies and and going uh, to possibly Serengeti, or I really want to get to Nogorogoro Crater. And I'll just I'll just talk about it here is, you know, if you're thinking of going to Africa, the COVID impacts on ecotourism, I'm really going to start researching this over the next, you know, few weeks and, and report back to the listeners about it. Because as we try to transition out of this pandemic, it has had massive impacts on, on ecotourism. We, we don't know what the numbers are right now. We, we don't know how bad animals have suffered, if at all, if, if it could have gone the other way. But what we do know is, is tourism has died in the last couple of years, obviously. You know, in 2020, four and a half trillion dollars, American dollars, was lost in global tourism. Millions and millions of jobs lost uh, on top of that. In Africa, half the people working in tourism lost their jobs. You know, the people that do the safaris, the people that that are, you know, game guides, all those those people lost their jobs because there was no tourists. And they estimate in Africa alone that in 2021 added up to about $253 billion, American dollars lost in tourism dollars, which a lot of that goes to animal conservation. South Africa during lockdowns, 96% drop in tourism. So they've been hit hard. They've been hit really hard. So if, if you can get to Africa, uh, go. You know, I'm going to try to go. Angie's going to try to go. If you can get to New Zealand, come visit, please, when we open up. <laughs> well, we wouldn't have to pay any money. We could just stay with you. That's you like save easy. me, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will show you around. We will go birding. But, you know, we're, I'm going to try to do my part and get out there. It's a dream of mine to go to those parts of Africa and, and get over there. So I looked there and then I, I, I specifically went and did some digging in West Africa. What is going on in West Africa? I haven't done a lot of research there, you know, as far as the governments, what's going on with conservation. And I specifically looked at Liberia because that is where most of the pygmy hippos are. Mm-hmm. Now, Liberia's got a rich history, and, and I've always known about Liberia because of, of growing up in the United States. Many uh, freeborn African Americans, or they were slaves, were freed. They went and settled Liberia in the 1800s. And so there is a connection, like the Liberian flag is based on the United States flag. So there is a connection between the United States and Liberia. So it's got, Liberia's got a rich history and they were doing really well until the 1980s. There was a civil war, yeah, a lot of political instability in that region of the world. You know, a quarter of a million people died. It's very sad. Uh, and that raged for about 20 years. Now they, there was a peace agreement and it actually, I thought this was interesting in 2005, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf was elected president and she was the first female president on the continent of Africa. And Mm -hmm. since then, Liberia has been very stable for the last 20 years, but that obviously impacts pygmy hippos. Sure. Mm -hmm. Anytime you have, like we see in the Congo region, uh, violence and civil war, the animals suffer heavily. Then I went and looked specifically at deforestation because it is such a massive issue with pygmy hippos and the government Liberia does have the forestry development authority. Uh, They're doing a lot of outreach to the locals on how to manage their forests better. So there is a push to be better stewards of the environment. And then you sent me this link, uh, the fauna and flora international. 
Yes, we'll be talking about them a lot later. Yes, yes. They're working with the Forestry Development Authority of Liberia to mm-hmm. save pygmy hippos. So you, you'll you'll talk about that, uh, you know, and they're and how I check their uh, career opportunities to see if I could go work for them. <laughs> if you have computer skills, or looking for yes. like a lot of more computer uh, computer scientists type. Yeah data people uh than my skill set but yes i love um fauna and flora international and yeah. we'll be highlighting them at the end of the podcast for sure okay okay well i won't, well, I won't take some of your thunder there oh but take yeah. it they're awesome they deserve lots of time <laughs> well yeah they're they're like the sapo national park i think it's mm-hmm. it's a, an area that's got a lot of focus on it they just had a big workshop last year to focus in on pygmy hippos and some other regions of Liberia that are being protected and pygmy hippo habitat being protected. So there is a spotlight there. I still couldn't find a lot of info, but like you said, there are people out there trying to protect the species as a flagship species. You know, as a, again, another umbrella species, you save pygmy hippos, you're going to be saving a lot of other things uh, that live in their environment. The final thing I will say on pygmy hippo conservation, which is important, is there's about 350 of them in zoos around the world. I think it was around 160 zoos have them. Mm -hmm. They do breed well under human care. Yes. And, you know, to have that emergency population, if they go extinct in the wild, is massive. It is very, very, very important. So when you're only talking about maybe 2,000 left in the wild, if we can maintain hundreds of them under human care, then we can turn around and introduce them when they have habitat that's protected. And I'll tell you, because one thing you got me thinking about when we did all the cat stuff, we did the lynx and then snow leopards, reintroduction is not easy. And I thought about it and I'm like, well, hippos, how would you reintroduce a hippo? Then I remembered there's hippos breeding like crazy in South America. <laughs> I, think, I don't oh, know if we yes. talked, <laughs> yes. talked about it. He yes. did. Mm-hmm. Pablo Escobar's hippos. So did a little digging on that one. He brought over four hippos for his personal zoo that they let loose. And now there's over 80. Uh, these weren't, you know, trained to be rewilded. They just did it. Mm-hmm. And they're doing very well in Colombia. Some would argue too well. Yes, too well. And there was a, a program like, oh, do we just go and, and, and have to cull them all because they mm-hmm. don't belong there? They're, they're really destructive and, and they don't have any natural predators and blah, blah, blah. Well, the, the humane thing that they're doing is they're trying to do a sterilization program right now. Mm-hmm. And trying to sterilize them all so they don't get established there because they don't want to go in and have to call them all, you know, and, and shoot them basically. So yeah, that'd be sad, horrible. Yeah, it's not it's not their fault. No, no, no. So they are out uh, in in South America. Uh, don't belong there, but they are working on trying to sterilize them all. So I was thinking for the pygmy hippos, for these ones under human care, if we can find parks or places where they can be reintroduced i have a feeling they would do just fine you know like they're big cousins mm-hmm. yeah but they they need they need the wild they need the forests they need to be protected so just so hopefully it won't get to that hopefully they can just be protected in their natural habitat uh because enough people like us care about them yeah i know i know that that's it's just the only thing i could say is you know, sometimes people still have a lot of negative feelings with accredited zoos. Well, here's another flag in their cap of, or pin in their cap that, hey, you know, we're saving pygmy hippos on top of black-footed ferrets, on top of all the other endangered species that they house that we've talked about. So it just gives me some comfort that we won't see the species go extinct in at least my lifetime. Right, because I was thinking about it today. If like, oh, well, what if my boys asked me a question about pygmy hippos? Like, oh, uh, what were some of their mating rituals? And there's really not a lot in the literature about mm-hmm. that because mm-hmm. there's not very well studied in the wild because of how remote they are and shy and reclusive and nocturnal. 
And I'm like, wow, could you imagine if I'm like, I don't know. And now there's none in the wild. Like, yeah. We don't, we don't know. I mm-hmm. mean, um, this is granted it's called a pygmy hippo, but pygmy is a little bit of a misnomer because it's not that small. It's a large no. animal. Herbivore, and yeah. I just, a large mammal. Uh, I just took for it to go extinct in our lifetime or my kid's lifetime or my grandkid's lifetime, mm-hmm. assuming I have some, uh, would, would just be just really, really horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, so Anyways, uh, like I said, hopefully that won't be the case. And yes, thank goodness there are accredited zoos also uh, trying to keep the genetics as diverse as possible with the pygmy hippos. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in Europe, I think it's Switzerland. One of the zoos in Switzerland is is running the stud book for them. So, mm-hmm. you know, managing all the breeding and, and genetics of them. Now, evolution's always fun with hippos because they are just such a unique <laughs> They're so cool. creature. So the, the order Artiodactyla which is one of Angie's favorite orders of animals, the even-toed ungulates. Mm-hmm. You're talking about over 270 species, pigs, cattle, deer, giraffe. And who else that you would be like, what? Whales? <laughs> yes, there you go, whales. <laughs> I know. It is always crazy that whales are in the order Artiodactyla. I know. I, it's, I mean, I love whales, so it all makes sense, but it is crazy. It is. It is. I always, go, I always, I always dork out in this stuff. I always get so excited when I study this. Now, the family is Hippopotamidae, and there's only two species left, right? Or the, the you have the African hippo, the common hippo, mm-hmm. and then you have the pygmy hippo. Mm-hmm. The species name for the pygmy hippo is Coropsis liberensis so for like liberia now here's where it gets a little controversial for them is they believe there might be two subspecies mm-hmm. the liberian pygmy hippopotamus which is coropsis liberensis liberensis and then the niger river delta or the nigerian pygmy hippopotamus which is Coropsis liberensis heslopi. Hes, oh my gosh, those these scientific names. You're doing great. You are doing. <laughs> I'm over here just drinking my tea. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the subspecies named after Mr. Heslop, who mm-hmm. claimed into 1945 to have shot a pygmy hippo. Great, thank you. Uh, you know, and in the Niger River Delta region, he said. There's only about 30 of them left. I don't even know how you would know back then. But they do have different skulls than the Liberian pygmy hippopotamus. They just have never found any alive. So we don't know. There's a little bit of controversy. Is there two subspecies? Uh, Is there not? So we, we, we don't know, but they have not found any in Niger. Now, there was... Hippopotamuses on or hippopotami on Madagascar. And there was the Lemurals dwarf hippopotamus and the Madagascan dwarf hippopotamus. These were very much similar to pygmy hippos. And they were on Madagascar and they died out anywhere from a thousand years ago to 500 years ago. Oh, wow. Not that long. Yeah, no. Remember the elephant bird, the largest bird sure. in the world? <laughs> yeah. And yes, and now we find out that they actually had dwarf hippopotamus on Madagascar that uh, went extinct because of humans, you know. Mm-hmm. Just very, very unique. Now, why are whales and hippos so closely related? That's always a fun dive in there. So even toad ungulates emerged about 60 million years ago. So after this big asteroid or whatever hit the earth. Now, we don't have a lot of data on hippo uh, and whale fossils way back when. There is a suborder of whippomorphs. So in Artiodactyla, there is whippomorpha, and it's a combination of English, which is whale, and hippopotamus. So there was, around 55 million years ago, a very common ancestor that was semi-aquatic, that diverged, one maintained some some land movement, which are hippos, and then the others went to become whales. 
we don't have that missing link yet. Now, what's interesting, the evolutionary scientists are debating where did these aquatic traits emerge from? You know, is there a connection or was it convergent evolution? They believe it's more convergent evolution that hippopotamuses over time uh, became more aquatic from land on their own, where whales and dolphins just, that was it. That was life. Life was fully aquatic uh, over time. Now we know it, we, we had an ancient hippo after that around 48 million years ago, which was Anthocotheridae. It was like a skinny hippo with a narrow head, looked kind of like a pig, but, but kind of big. And they were semi-aquatic. We do know that modern hippos emerged out of Africa, but you did find them in Asia and Europe. They did not uh, cross any land bridges, it's probably too far north for them. Uh, to get into the Americas. The first time they came to Americas that we know of was Pablo Escobar's hippos. So that's, <laughs> yeah. that's it. They came by plane. Yeah. And the probably, boat, cl- yeah, yeah, probably. I don't know how they got them there. <laughs> Moving a five ton hippo. Like geez. he had a lot of money. So yeah, that, that's okay. what made me think plane, but they yeah. could do, they could do boat too. Yeah. Now, when we can go back, the farthest we can go back and really the, the most, our modern version of hippos is we go back about 16 million years. There was a Kenya potamus is its name was the size of a pygmy hippo. And then they think about 8 million years ago is where our pygmies diverged away from the, the Nile or African hippo hippo. So very, it's just, I just go back. I mean, you, you think about those many millions of years, but that common ancestor. Yeah, like let's go back in the water. Okay. Let's just stay here forever. Yeah. Let's just... And they become whales. Yeah. And then you have your toothed whales, your baleen whales, and all the species that come after that. And then you had the other one saying, Oh, I'm just gonna laze around in the in the rivers and then go out and eat and then just go laze around the rivers, and that became hippos. You know, so it's just, cool. It is yeah. evolution's Fun. Well, I forgot to mention too uh, in the description when talking about their toes mm. that uh, I want to make sure and clarify that the hippos have four toes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So four prominent distinct toes on each one of their feet. Yeah. And, it, and I don't know. I mean, you talk about this in behavior, but it seems like, you know, especially those dense forests, it just gives them more grip and things probably, you know, thinking about evolution. Right. So they can nav- yeah. navigate. Through the forests, yeah. yeah, easier than the other hippos that are just right. More and then grazing. And people yeah. always think too that uh, hippos swim, but they actually don't. They more walk on the bottom of the water and just right. b- bounce up bounce to get up air. Yeah, mm-hmm. God, I see those videos of them like breaching, chasing a boat. <laughs> like, no thanks. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> no thank you. All right, some some facts, more facts about our little pygmy hippos. Average lifespan I found was around twenty seven years old. Again, in the yeah. wild, yeah. Obviously, you know, hard to, hard to gauge that in the wild, but in under human care, up to forty three was the oldest. Uh, there's Adele at the Brookfield Zoo in Chicago who is oh. forty four. Oh, okay, broke the record. Yes, and we'll put a, a YouTube video about her on our show notes. It's very informative. It's a keeper chat. She's just there munching on her lettuce while the mm. uh, the, uh, the nice keepers talking about her. And I'm watching it, and of course, of course, I could just watch hoofstock all day munching yeah. on lettuce or grass or whatever it is. And she's giving a lot of good facts, and it's just really nice. They did it. Um, they recorded this video shortly after the pandemic uh, began. I think in May of 2020, which was a nice which was a nice thing to do because we we're all stuck at home and mm-hmm. uh and zoos are really helping us out uh by giving us good video educational content for our kids. But Chris it blew my mind that this video only had like 1800 views, like less than 2000. Oh. And I'm like there's this cat video going around <laughs> of a cat jumping or something yeah. that has like 2 million views and it's views. probably cuz it's on TikTok or whatever. Uh, yeah. But I'm like, Hi. yes, the keeper chat is it's it's a little bit longer, so you have to pay attention more than five seconds, mm-hmm. which I know is hard for all of us these days. But it's really good and it's well done. And I just don't. Uh, we need to get this video circulated more because oh, yeah. I think if people yeah. saw Adele, 
who's 44 at the Brookfield Zoo and saw her eating and then learned more about her from the keeper that like that they love her and talking about her. Mm-hmm. It would hopefully get people more excited about them. And I just, um, I don't know how the, uh, the algorithms work of YouTube, but man, they, they, there should be more, there should be more likes and follows on some of these animal channels. Then yeah, then the cat. And videos. especially <laughs> like, am I like one of the first people to YouTube pygmy hippos? I can't be right. Maybe I am. I don't know. <laughs> well, they're just, I mean, it's, it's, it's an animal that you just don't really think about. Right. right? And like, that's what, mm, that's what, cause I know um one of my favorite hippos in the world is Fiona, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. who is, was the preemie hippo that was born at the Cincinnati zoo. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough to talk to Christina, who was a curator at the, um, the curator of the uh, African animal area who was there on scene when this preemie hippo was born, Fiona, and then watching her grow up and have a successful life. And she's, you know, she has millions of followers, Yes, uh, which is awesome because, because anything hippo related, bringing our attention to why we should love Fiona and her mom and mm-hmm. her dad. And it's just fantastic. Um, but I think that uh, the pygmy hippos need, need a little bit of push. Well, you can check out that, interview episode 47 i did have that written down <laughs> so, oh yes, yes that, that was yeah, one of my favorite yeah, ones. i, know, I, I have know. so many favorites that was a good one it was a good one yeah it was a good one that was a good one yeah we love fiona now a little bit about more about pygmies they can run up to 18 miles per hour or 30 kilometers per hour you can't outrun them they can swim up to five miles per hour or eight kilometers per hour i uh, can hold their breath for like five minutes and then, like Angie said, they have those muscular valves that that close their nostrils and ears uh, while they dive uh, and stay underwater. The physiology, I get, you know, pygmy hippos, hippos, the skin, Angie, it, it, it's 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 so unique in the mammal world, isn't it? It's so it unique. really is because I must admit, uh, one of the first times I went behind scenes to meet the pygmy hippos at the Lincoln Park Zoo. I had, it was the first time I'd ever been up close and personal to any type of hippo. And I didn't realize how slimy they were. And I love all things animal related, whether it's their, their hair, their feces, their urine, like their, whatever, I'll clean it up. I'll yep, take care yep. of it. It's all good. But I must admit the first time I went to pet them and yeah, I went to go, I went right into like, go scratch them on the back. Like I would a rhino or a zebra or something, of course, through protected contact. We don't go in with them, anything like that, but, but through the rails, just give them a little scratch. And I went right in like full bore mm-hmm. and oh my gosh, my hand went in the slimy mucusy <laughs> yeah. uh, substance that mm-hmm. covers their skin. And yeah. it's just when we're, when I'm doing outreach and education, especially with snakes, Kids always think that snakes are slimy, and snakes are not slimy. They're very smooth to the touch, uh, and their skin is, in my opinion, I know they have scales, but it's like it's soft. Mm-hmm. And this pygmy hippo was slimy. <laughs> There's no other way. I, I like didn't I didn't want to keep petting it. Like I love I love uh, rubbing rhino belly. Like that's yeah, what I, yeah. I wish that was just my job. And that's what I thought I was going to do with this pygmy hippo. And I did one little pet pet and I was like, "Thank you." Uh so yes, their skin is is different. It is very least. different. It's very mm-hmm. different, right? Right. I mean, it's it's because Compared to, I, I, you know, we're not skin physiologists, but studying the layers of the skin, they ooze to protect the skin, to keep it moist, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they, they can dehydrate quickly in the sun. So that's why they always go back in the water. Mm-hmm. But they, they have this blood sweat. I remember you talked about that in the hippo episode. Sure. Yeah, it's a pink fluid mm-hmm. that oozes out or beads out of... Uh, tiny mucus glands that are throughout their entire skin. It almost looks like little pock marks if you get close to them. And as this pink fluid oozes out, um, it, it does look like sweat, but it's not mm-hmm. sweat. It's this mucus. And it gives the, the hippo a very sheen, wet, or shiny appearance. Mm-hmm. And so even me, when I went like hand in, like, yeah, I can't wait to pet my first hippo. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to give him a good <laughs> scratchy scratch. Yeah, right. Uh, I just thought the hippo was wet because it just mm-hmm. came out of the, their swimming area. Mm-hmm. And that, no, I mean, maybe it was wet, but 
doesn't really matter because it's just this uh, blood sweater, this pink fluid that causes it to have like a layer of mucus or slime covering uh, its epidermis, the top layer of its skin. And the reason they do this, of course, is to keep their skin hydrated, Mm -hmm. uh, but it also acts like a built-in sunscreen Mm -hmm. and it helps them can you know keep the moisture in and reflect the sun's rays so they don't dry out and they can stay nice and hydrated but when you look up close it looks like it's red sweat coming from these glands yeah. but it's not it's really unique i mean really 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 unique uh in mammalian physiology and i would like to add that if i had a chance to do it again i would not care i'd be like still sliming it up back and forth, scratchy <laughs> yeah. scratch, slimy scratch. I, uh, <laughs> I was just a little shocked. Surprised. So yes. many, yeah, so many years ago. Uh, so I think like, I know my husband worked with hippos and you, I think you get used to it obviously mm-hmm. after, um, after uh, being around them so much and, uh, working with them and training them. So, uh, it becomes, it just becomes normal. Just like all of us pet owners right now, I'm have, I have like uh, black leggings on that are co- covered in dog hair. It's just yeah. normal. Like it doesn't, that's <laughs> fine. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It is what it is, right? Now, what I found interesting when I'm looking at this is, is they have like a multi-chamber stomach like, like a cow, mm-hmm. but they don't ferment or use the microbes like a cow would. They don't chew their cud. So they have well, the, this large I stomach. Have that they, I have that they do do a little foregut fermentation. Fermentation like a cow, but mm-hmm. then it goes on to the... Uh, the glandular stomach for digestion. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. So yeah, it's interesting that how they differ, even though they're really not that closely related to cattle. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're way like back a, in the tree. Like a pseudo-ruminant. Yeah, 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 yeah. A false ruminant, yeah. Yeah, so maybe some convergent evolution there, you know, from way back when. Well, Chris, too, I think with their nutrition, it's important to talk about their tusks. Mm-hmm. So... The, the larger common or Nile hippo is known for their massive tucks, tusks, and they know how to use them. Uh, and the pygmy, of course, has them as well. And these tusk-like incisors and the canines will grow continuously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the lower ones are actually longer than the upper ones, and they project forward a little bit. And these large uh, tusks or incisors, if you will, are really more important for pygmy hippo versus pygmy hippo than really anything else nutrition related, right? It's more for defensive territory, um, securing a mate, um, basically looking tough when you need to. And so the, the joke is always like, oh, if, if, you're, if you're out and about uh, and you see a hippo yawning, they probably aren't yawning. They're probably actually doing um, more of an aggressive display. Unless you're Fiona, and Fiona has a pretty amazing lifestyle that she's probably exhausted from all the all the media popularity and swimming around <laughs> and having I fun, know. <laughs> and I know, eating I lots know, of I treats. Know. But yes, in general, uh, they're doing they're making that they're opening their mouth more to show the other male, hey, you don't want to mess with this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and again, they're they're a prey species for leopards. You know, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. the main predator of them. Also, humans, humans do poach them, which is a, a threat to them. There's some people saying that crocodiles might uh, prey on them a little bit and African rock pythons. And I'm thinking maybe that's the babies because I, I just don't see a, a rock python taking out uh, a large hippo. But no, not an adult. No, no. Now, what are some uh, the behaviors? I know there's not a lot known because they are so reclusive right there just isn't well yeah chris they're just they're shy and they're reclusive uh they're nocturnal so they're hard for researchers to really get in there and study them and they're also more solitary they're usually found by themselves they can be found in small family groups so from a researcher point of view instead of studying 40 or 50 at a time like the, what you might find in a, a herd of uh, the larger common mm-hmm. hippopotamuses, hippopotami, mm-hmm. I should say, is a little. It's a little bit easier to see the interactions and see the different dynamics. So for pygmy hippos, what we know comes from either studying uh, pictures and videos on camera traps, uh, and then a handful of behavioral and um, physi- physiological studies on them. 
So what we do know is that the pygmy hippos do come out at night. They're mainly nocturnal. Uh, during the day, they're going to hide, uh, resting in either like a wallow or a swamp or a river area to basically stay out of the heat of the day. And then when the evening comes, they'll leave the water to go feed and graze on land. And the pygmy hippo does spend a lot of time in the water, but not as much as the larger uh, common hippo or Nile hippo will. Uh, they're going to they're gonna be on land uh, a little bit more frequently than their cousin. And when the pygmy hippo does come out of its wallow to forage in the evening, uh, it travels a kilometer or so uh, to find food, but it's definitely not going to cover as much land as their bigger cousin, the common hippo will. So they stay a little bit closer to their wallow or the area where they're hiding out in the rivers or the swamps. They will change their location that they're uh, sleeping during the day uh, uh, once or twice a week. So they don't have like a really secure one location that they live in forever. But they're usually going to be found resting near wet places or near a water base. But as far as like daily time budgets go or foraging time budgets, I couldn't find any of that information because we just we just don't have that have those studies available at this point in time. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see and compare, you know, what they do during the day versus their their large cousins. But one thing you mentioned earlier, they don't they're not as loud or as boisterous, right? Well, yeah, not even close. I yeah. mean, from what we know um, in the wild, pygmy hippos are silent, which is just completely the opposite of their mm. larger cousins. I mean, that's one of my favorite things. Fav- I have so many fond memories of my time and times in Africa, but mm-hmm. hearing the hippo calls is just, just breathtaking and fun. And it makes, it sounds like an old man laughing and it makes me want to laugh and smile and <laughs> not jump in the water with them, but definitely no, get my binoculars no. out and, and yeah. see where they're coming from and why they're, why they're vocalizing. But the pygmy hippo, they can make o- no- noises, high-pitched squeaks, low grunt, if you will. But for the most part, they're just uh, pretty pretty quiet. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, will, they will release like a huff or a loud breath um, if they're scared. But not, you know, nothing compared to the complex uh, bellows and grunts and shrieks and calls uh, that the, uh, the, their larger cousin will make the, the, I have to, I can't, I, sorry, I can't control myself. <laughs> mm, 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 mm. So that's more of a, that's, a, that's the big common hippo, the Nile yeah. hippo. Uh, that's what they're going to do. Uh, and I guess and, the, well, here, I'll do hippo. what the pygmy hippo does. Yeah, do a pygmy, there, okay. there you go. Here's the pygmy hippo. There you go. That's it. <laughs> I was like, really, I'm like, ooh, is he going to, I'm like, is he going to grunt or do a high pitch squeak? No, he didn't do any of that. But it's, but that's, that's, that's pretty that's appropriate, accurate. right? Mm-hmm. They don't do it. Mm-hmm. They're just like, mm, no, but I'm it, not going to announce makes my sense location. If, yeah. But I mean, in all seriousness aside, like it, it does, it makes sense with their biology. If they're not living in these large groups, uh, if they're usually solitary, you know, why do they really need to make a lot of noise? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's, it's just fascinating, uh, considering how vocal, uh, uh, the larger hippos are. I wonder, you know, and I wonder too, it, it's human impacts on animal behavior too, you know, that they, that they have been persecuted. So the ones that have been quiet aren't being found, you know. Sure. And, and, That's and, really and interesting killed. question. Yeah. I yeah. Obviously we don't have the answers to it, but no. it's not a far leap to imagine that all of our human encroachment and poaching mm-hmm. uh, is definitely impacting Oh yeah. Behavior. I mean, I just mean. in elephants, and you know, their tusks are shorter, or they yeah. don't have tusks. You know, right? The Crazy. large tuskers are are are, are a dying breed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, always we follow up with repro. I mean, I imagine we know some stuff because of we have so many under human care. But what do mm-hmm. we know? Well, in the wild, we don't know if there's a breeding season, uh, which is just still blows my mind. Like, I, I mean, I can't believe we don't know that yet, but we don't because. Uh, to understand um, estrus in breeding seasons, those usually take long-term studies uh, where you can see the animal. That's a hard study to do with just camera traps, right? 
But what we do know is when the female pygmy hippo, hippo does come into estrus and is ready to breed, um, she probably is releasing a lot of pheromones uh, through with her urine, and the male can pick up on that, and he's usually waiting nearby uh, to breed with her. And of course, it is known in the bigger common hippos that um, a lot of their mating rituals has to do with with communicating through scent and pheromones and um, urinating and defecating and all these fun twirling their tail to spray their uh, feces and urine around because it's like a beautiful perfume to one another, to male and female. It's just an olfactory, wonderful uh, love fest. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. researchers assume that similar with pygmy hippos um, as far as some of the breeding courtship behaviors. But once again, I couldn't find anything really uh, in the literature describing detail for detail because yes, I love courtship behaviors. We're we're coming close to February. So we'll Mm -hmm. have to find some, we'll have to do a cover a bird Mm -hmm. maybe for Valentine's day that, you know, just do these amazing courtship behaviors. And I like, I like a very step-by-step, uh, mm-hmm. detailed picture of what some of these courtships look like. And I just couldn't find that in the pygmy hippo at this point in time. So hopefully one day we'll get our answers about that. Or maybe one of um, one of my keeper friends can tell me if they know anything more than I know, but they probably are doing these breeding behaviors at nighttime, right? Mm-hmm. So it's hard for researchers to study unless they're trying really, really hard um, when they're under human care. And it's even harder to study these behaviors in the wild. But what we do know about pygmy hippo reproduction is that when a female is pregnant, her gestation period is going to be about six to seven months, and she'll, she likely will give birth underwater, but pygmy hippo calves can also be born on land. She usually gives birth to a singleton or just one, but there have been incidents of two pygmy hippos uh, being born, but it's pretty rare. At birth, a pygmy hippo is going to weigh about seven and a half kilos or fourteen pounds, which is tiny. If I mean, know? think about it. Like that, that's a that's a very big human baby, which would be massive. But you watch your mouth, son. That's <laughs> I know. <don't... laughs> uh, I had a nine what? pound seven ouncer. Yeah, and, uh, that's. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so, so, but you don't weigh four hundred <laughs> or five hundred pounds. You're you're not. Well, if this pandemic keeps going, <laughs> we all will be. But geez, Louise. Yeah, but I mean, you know, for let's say you know a woman weighs one hundred and forty pounds, you know, and a, a ten pound baby, that's a lot. But right. here's a four hundred, five hundred pound, you know, female hippo mm-hmm. gives birth to a fourteen pound baby. That is tiny. Yeah, it's tiny, right? Yeah. yeah. So this darling little hippo calf is going to be tucked away or hidden in um, bushes or on banks of rivers, just tucked away and hidden because they're not very stable. Uh, pygmy hippo calves don't walk very well. They're definitely not out following mom in the beginning or anything like that. So the mom's going to gonna hide her out and, um, and then, of course, come back uh, throughout the day in the evening to nurse, uh, to nurse the calf. But a fascinating fact about hippos in general, including pygmy hippos, is that a calf can nurse from its mom both underwater or on land. Okay. So pretty like cool. Like cetaceans, yeah, like the whales. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It's a yeah. full circle. Exactly. Yeah. They Because once again, when they're, uh, they have the ability when they're in a, an aquatic setting to close off their nostrils and... Uh, and their ears to prevent water from entering. And so they can just suckle away and get that yummy milk underwater, which is just super cool. Now the pygmy hippo starting off at about 14 pounds does grow really quickly. And after about five to six months of age, especially uh, if the mother's nutritional status is good, uh, that baby's going to weigh 10 times its birth weight. So it's, they grow really quick, mm-hmm, uh, much mm-hmm. quicker than our human babies. Uh, thank goodness. And then mama pygmy hippo is usually going to wean her calf anywhere from six to eight months. But the pygmy hippos are not going to reach sexual maturity until they're about three to five years old. So it's a pretty slow generation generational yeah, interview. We talk about trying to uh, build up a population of these guys in West Africa. It, it's just not going to happen overnight. Um, 
So no. we really need, you know, we really need to keep our eyes on them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a major investment for them and, you know, they are classified as endangered. That means they're, they're definitely slipping towards extinction. It, you know, we talked about a lot of the threats. Deforestation is, is a big one. Ag land development, you know, the civil conflicts hasn't helped in that region of the world, but the habitat loss is, is the biggest thing facing them. So it's, it's good that there is an organization out there, many that are looking at this. I know Edge of Existence we've mentioned before, but yours this week is doing a lot of good work. Yes, yes. Um, the uh, Edge of Existence out of the Zoological Society of London, they they uh, put a lot of work into pygmy hippos throughout the years. But I think their last big project ended, I don't know, five five or so years back. And so I don't know if they've started another one. Uh, but that's why I want to focus on the Fauna and Flora International Group uh, that is currently actively right now, as we speak, doing a lot to fight for pygmy hippos. And so Fauna and Flora International, if you're not familiar, they can be found at www.fauna-flora.org. And they're on all social media sites. So I highly recommend following them on Facebook or Instagram. And Fauna and Flora International, or FFI, is one of the oldest international uh, conservation charities. So they have a great standing credit. They've been doing what they do for a long time and doing it very well. And their mission is to conserve threatened species and ecosystems worldwide. And they work for solutions that are sustainable based on sound science. Yes, we love that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, And they also take into account what humans need to help reduce this conflict. So just a really smart organization and, um, and they're doing a lot to help pygmy hippos. In fact, right now, um, Fauna and Flora International is working with local and international partners to conserve the pygmy hippo in um, Sapo National Park, and that's Liberia's largest protected area. And to do this, they're using camera trap surveys uh, to capture images of the pygmy hippos that live there to help try to document how many there are, where they live. They are doing field studies tracking footprints and uh, feces and looking for areas of where they may be feeding. And Chris, what's also really cool is FFI is studying these pygmy hippos in Liberia and tr- and trying to figure out more about them through uh, state-of-the-art e-DNA. Mm-hmm. And what that is, is that's environmental DNA. So collecting mitochondrial DNA data that's uh, give, released or given off by an animal into the environment through either feces or mucus mm-hmm. or skin sheds or things like this. And so trying to understand more of how they're moving, where they live, how the environment's impacting them. So really cool like field work, which is what I love to see, um, especially after going through the literature this week and just seeing that there's not a ton of stuff out there about them. So being in the field is going to help researchers learn more, uh, not only about their behavior and their physiology, but but how to conserve them as well. And so besides being in the field, so FFI has a lot of policy um, implications as looking into as far as making corridors for them from different patches of forest and, and trying to set that up and see how they can do that. Uh, and then, of course, working with a lot of local partners on how to better conserve them from poaching and other things like that. So Fauna and Flora International, check them out. I'm so, so happy that they are are fighting for the pygmy hippo, working with a lot of international collaborators to help conserve these guys. And yeah, now I don't have to start my own pygmy hippo yeah. uh, <laughs> conservation. But but maybe I mean there's there's definitely more skin in the game. There's there is mm-hmm. there is a lot of space for uh, and need for more attention to pygmy hippos. So if you're Absolutely. thinking about maybe starting like a uh elephant conservation mm. organization or a tiger conservation organization i don't want to tell you not to do that because we need more people fighting for all animals but the piggy pygmy hippos and common hi- hippos in general could use a lot more attention than they're getting from conservation organizations no if you're interested I, i've mentioned this earlier in the podcast and and we've had some emails and and people reach out to us how can i help 
there is something, I think Angie's brought this up a couple years ago, but it's called the Africa Conservation Experience. And they have six ways that you can help Africa's endangered species like the pygmy, pygmy hippo. Number one is learn more about that species and why they're endangered. So listening to this podcast, you're doing that. So thank you for listening. And, and, and number two is raise awareness online and offline. So you can take the knowledge you learn in this podcast and share it. People don't know a lot about pygmy hippos. Well, here you go. This is a great opportunity to, to do that. They also say reduce your carbon footprint. You can support worthwhile charities with monthly donations, you know, support or volunteer at a local wildlife park or zoo, which I know many of you listening do that. And then it's join a conservation project in Africa. So you can go to the Africa Conservation Experience website, which is conservationafrica.net, and they have a whole host of volunteer projects. Now, as we get out of this COVID pandemic and we travel again, things open up over the, the coming years, you know, check that website out. It, it, it's definitely worthwhile. It's, it's an amazing website. I'm looking at it right now with their videos and you know, it's, it's just, it's a way that you can give back, but that's the, again, the African conservation experience. Well, you know, another species in trouble, we had snow leopards and we had these guys, very critical low numbers, but I think next week we'll go to something that, that, uh, flocks or I wouldn't say flocks for this species, but thousands and thousands of them. Right. <laughs> so, well, we'll do the research and yes. because it is it is always changing. So yeah, we yeah. Uh, uh, we look forward to bringing you a new species next week. And yes, thank you for falling in love with the pygmy hippo. Thank you for sharing this episode, getting your friends and family excited about awesome nerdy hippo facts because it's super cool to be an animal nerd. So yes, we, like <laughs> us. <laughs> so thank you so much for listening. Take care. Listen, learn. Share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.